So, in this parsha in Vayetze, we know that there is a fascinating story right at the beginning of the parsha that Yaakov Avinu leaves the uh, yeshiva of Shem Ve'ever after 14 years of steiging, he was learning, and all of a sudden he heads out to Haran, he's heading there to run away from Esav and to marry, uh, to marry Rachel and Leah. And the Pasuk says that Vayishka b'makim First, he took some stones. He wanted to sleep. Chazal tell us that for the entire 14 years that he was learning in Shem Bever, he never slept. Rashi says in that place he slept, which turned out to be in the Makam HaMikdash, there he slept. But that's a miyot. That's when he slept, but that teaches us that the 14 years in Shem Bever, he never slept which is a Chiddush. I saw that uh, they asked Rebchaim Kanievsky, how is that possible? How is it, we know that the Gemara tells us that you have to sleep. I think if you, it's impossible physically for a person to, to, to go without sleep for a few days. So if a person, let's say, makes a nether that I swear that I'm not going to sleep for a week, so you might as well just break the nether right away and eat and you know pay up the whatever knas you have to pay up because it ain't happening. It's impossible physically for a person to go more than a few days without sleep. Allah has come to go for 14 years without sleep. How does that happen? And they asked him, so he said that doesn't mean that he mamish never slept. He took little naps, but he never like slept in a bed. He never laid down and... Uh, and, you know, really relaxed. He was always learning, he was always studying, and once in a while he caught a cap nap here in a power nap he took here and there to just refresh himself, like we know about the Vilna guy and the stifler, people that slept, that learned 36 hours straight, but after 36 hours they took a little bit of a rest just in order to refresh themselves, and they, they started learning all over again. So it says that when he took this final, this sleep for the first time, like he laid down for the first time in 14 years, so it says that he took, he took from the stones of the area, and then later the Torah says that he had one stone. There was only one stone. So what was it? Was it 14 stones, or was it one stone? So Chazal tell us, and Rashi brings, that as soon as he started taking these stones and putting them near his head, all of the stones started fighting, as it were, with one another, whatever that means, and they all were saying, I want the tzaddik's head to go on me. And the other one said, no, 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 it's going on me. And the other one says, it's going on me. And they were fighting. There was like a real brawl between these stones. And until what happened was, a miracle happened, and they all joined together, and it was one big evan that it became. From me'avne amakim, it became one evan. And that's when he slept, and he had tremendous dreams about a ladder that went up, and there were angels going up and down the ladder, and Hashem gives him tremendous brachas. And that's basically the end of the parsha. The question that arises is, what is going on exactly with these rocks? We know that in, in the world, there's different, there's different types of, of, of categories of beings. So what's the lowest form of being? Inanimate objects, right? What do we call that in Lashna Kaidesh? Anyone know? What, what? Domain, very good. 
There's domain. Domain means inanimate objects. So if you have a stender, you have a rock, you have a computer, these are all things that have no, there's no, there's nothing to them. There's no, they don't walk, they don't talk, they don't live, they don't breathe. They're just dead, but they exist. That's them. That's the lowest form of life. And then as you go higher on the totem pole, there's something called simeach, which means vegetation. You have uh, grass, flowers, trees, fruits. Those are things that, they're not, you can't say they're domain. They're not dead. They're not inanimate. They have some life to them. They're growing. They're moving. They're, but they're not really, you know, they're, they're also a step higher than a domain. And then after that, we go higher. We go to the madriga of what? Chai. Chai means things that are alive. Animals are alive. Dogs, cats, cows. And then they're, they're moving. They have an ishamans of some sort. Uh, Adam, and then there is something called the Medaber, that's on top of all of them, that's man. Man is, is high, but he's really a Medaber. He's, he has intelli- intelligent speech, it's called. An animal cannot communicate with another animal in an intelligent way. They communicate by scratching each other, by clawing each other, by, I don't know, by kicking their feet up, or they do shtick with each other. Dolphins, they say speak, but what does it mean they speak? They have some, you know, that's, that's, their, that's as far as the intelligent speech goes. They're not communicating, they're not saying a, a vart to each other, they're not giving a schmooze, they're not, uh, you know, they're, they're just basically doing something in order to get a message across, but that's not a medaber. Medaber means that you have to have the ability to speak in- intelligently. That's only Adam. Adam has that ability. Akadosh Baruch Hu gave man a special nefesh. It says, nefesh chaya, a living soul. And the Targum on that says, L'ruach Baruch Hu gave him the ability to be a ruach, to have a ruach memala, to have speech, memalel, to talk. That's something that's unique to, to man. So what does it mean if we know now that there's different levels of, of daimem and tzameh, chayim, medaber, and by the way, the Musr's farm say that on top of all these levels, there's another level. Yehudi. Very good, Yehudi. There's a, that's a, that's the, 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 the pinnacle of the, of the totem pole is there's a Yid. There's, we're not just Tzameach and a Chai and a, and a Medaber, but we're, we actually have a connection with the Rabbi and We have a higher level of a, of a soul that, that's able to daven and learn and do tremendous things. That, uh, that no one else in the world can do. That's even a higher level. And then there's actually another level that's brought in the Musar Sfarim. What's that? After Yisrael, then there's a one, one level higher. What? No. No. A Ben Taira. A Ben Taira, a Ben Yeshiva, somebody that learns in Yeshiva is the highest of all levels. Because we, we're Zaycha to sit and to learn and to to have, uh, to, to have a, a, an elevated um, purpose in life that we're able to touch every single day, our neshama with Tyre, with Kedusha, that's a Ben Tyre, that's the highest pinnacle. So let's go back now. If we know that there's all these levels, so how does it sit with you when, when I tell you that rocks are debating and fighting and saying, each rock is like screaming, no, I want Yaakov's head to be on me, I want Yaakov's head to be on me, and finally they all join together. What does that mean? How do you understand that on a simple level? Do you just say, I don't know, chazal, whatever, go figure. Or do you try to actually 
you know, analyze it and think about it a little bit. How does that happen? How do rocks suddenly have this, this desire to serve Yaakov Avinu? What's going on? How do they, I mean, even if you say, well, they don't really talk, which I would agree with, but what does it mean that they even have this, 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 this strong urge to serve a tzaddik? So if you see the Mesos Yisharim that's in front of you, um, I, I don't know if we all have the same version of it. I, see, I think it's a little different. But it's in Perak Aleph. And if you would count the... Uh, let me, yeah, let me. This is what everyone's using, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's see if I can find it in here. Yeah, it's in Perak Aleph, and it's the, it's the Perak that's... It's the chapter that starts the end. Okay, so let's just learn that together very quickly. He says that the world was created for man. That's why this whole world was created. It's on page Yud Zayin. The world is always hanging in the balance. If man is, is moving away, is shifting away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and he, uh, he's, just, uh, he's getting into materialism, he likes hedonism, he likes things of the world. He's basically destroying himself, but he's destroying the world, because if the world is, is tethered to man, if the world depends upon man, so then... If man is doing what he's supposed to, the world is uplifted. If man is not, then the world is being destroyed. The imhu shaylet ba'atzmai, but if he is actually reigning over himself, the nidbak b'bayre, and he attaches himself to his creator, and he's using the world only to serve Hashem, so he is uplifted, and the world is uplifted with him. And look at, let's just skip down to the end of this paragraph. And this explains the, the Ramchal of the Indian Avnei Amakim Shalakach Yaakovino, the Samira Shaisav. And look at what happened to these stones that, that Yaakovino took, he put underneath his head. What do Chazal tell us in Chulan? Amr of Yitzchak Melamish Niskapsu Kulan Makamechod. Vahaisa Kal Achas Aimeres. They were all gathered together into one place, and each of them said, What is the Ramchal saying? The Ramchal is basically telling us a very, very important said that the world is here for man. That's why the whole world is here. The world is not for trees, it's not for animals, it's not for grass, and it's not for, uh, it, it's not, it's just for us, it's for man. Now, that's a, that's a wonderful thing, it's also a great responsibility. If we're doing the right thing with, with the world, so then the world is very, is elevated. Everything in the world is elevated. If we're not doing the right thing, then we're basically ruining the purpose of the world. So I'll give you an example, this stender here, okay, what's it made? It's made of wood. Oh, wood. This, this wood, what is it? It's, it could have been used for a baseball bat. It could have been used for uh, you know, some, uh, a million other things that wood is used for. 
a picnic table somewhere out in Arkansas. Instead, this wood was created for, as a shtender, it happened to have found its way into Lander College for Men, and your Rebbe uses it every day to give shear from. Is this a piece of wood? Is it possible to say this is not a piece of wood? This is a daimim, but in a way, it was, it was raised, it was upgraded tremendously by the fact that it's being used for a purpose that's holy. So this shtender is not, you can't look at it as a shtender, you look at it as something that's Kaddish Kadashim because it's used to learn Taira. I think of Chaim Pincha Scheinberg from Eretz Yisrael, he was the Yid that wore all those tzitzis, that, the tremendous gadol that wore like over 100 pairs of tzitzis. It's funny, he was very skinny, he was a very frail old man, but when you see him, he looks like, a, you know, he looks like, like, like he's huge because he's wearing all of these, really a very skinny like Gadol, but he looked very big because of the tzitzis. So Reb Chaim Pinchas Scheinberg used to say that um, that um, that what did he say? What was I talking about? Yeah. So he said that. Oh, that the kaisel he used to say is kaidesh. It's kaidesh. It's holy. The kaisel and marabi, holy. The shtender. That, that we learn from, and it's just all everybody learn, they don't learn on tables like we do, they, they learn by shtenders. So the shtender is Kaidish Kadashim. The shtender itself is on a higher level than the Kaisal, even, because it's holy of holies. It's used for a tire. What do you mean it's holy of holies? It's a piece of wood with some metal on it. How is that holy of holies? The answer is that when you use things in this world for holy purposes, even if it's a domain, suddenly that domain becomes like the most important thing in the universe because it was, it was elevated through its purpose of, of serving the Adam HaShalim. The Mesul Sisharim is saying that those stones that Yaakov Vinu took and all of a sudden they were fighting, what were they, they were fighting, because much like the Shtender, they wanted to serve, they all were desperate to serve a Tzadik. Everything in the world is, is desperate to serve tzaddikim, to serve tzaddikim. Even the daimim, because they under, a daimim understands that I was here for man, I'm here for the Adam HaSholem. I was created, the whole world was created for Tyron, for Klal Yisrael, and for purpose, purposes that are high and exalted. And so that's what it means. There was a struggle between the rocks. Who should serve the Adam Hashem, who should serve Yaakov Avinu? And because of that, the stones themselves became holy because they had a mission to serve, to serve Yaakov Avinu. I want to tell you a story that happened to me, so I know it's sort of true. Um, and uh, yeah, so the story goes like this. My father, Oliver Shalom, was a, a collector of Judaica. He loved, he loved collecting like letters of Gedalim and uh, anything that, he could, that, that were especially family heirlooms, like uh, you know, if he could find a safer that was owned by our great-great-grandfather who was a big rub in Germany, or uh, anything that was like that, he would like, buy it at auctions, or he would do anything that he could to try to, to, try to get more stuff into his collection. And I, I was sort of bitten by that bug also. It's a, it's a, it's a taiva that people have sometimes. It's a, sometimes it can go to extremes. Like people will 
you know, collect every single, uh, you know, baseball card ever, or they'll, they'll, they'll want to, you know, I, I, some, the U.S. Constitution, I was just seeing, uh, there was a woman who, was, who collects constitutions of the United States of America, and every state in the Union has their own state constitution, and she collected every one of them. She put them all up on auction. Uh, I don't know if it was sold yet or is about to be sold, but it's, a, it's something that people do. People collect, sometimes people collect uh, certain types of, uh, I don't know, Batman memorabilia or, uh, you know, concert memorabilia or whatever it is that... Pokemon what, what? Pokemon, Pokemon cars. So, so there's, there's a whole section of, of, of collecting called Judaica. I actually wrote a book on it for art school called Great Jewish Treasures. And basically it's a book of about 150, 200 different artifacts in full color, like a big book. And every gadol has, I, I try to find a special thing that, with a story behind it and pit, put a picture of the actual chafetz, of the actual item, and showed how important these items are. And there are, there's, there's importance to these items because if they were owned by a gadol, that means that they were invested in a special kedusha. That's what we're talking about today. The stone, if imagine if I could pull out of my pocket a stone that Yaakov Inu slept on, you probably or you should be very impressed by that. Now, if you're a skeptic, you say, who cares? It's just a rock. Like, what's the big deal? But if you understand that what the Masosi Sharm is saying is so true, that, that everything that is used, even daimims that are used in the service of a tzaddik becomes elevated, they become kaidesh and kaidesh kadashim, so then you would be impressed by the rock in my pocket that, um, that I could show you. Of the rock? We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah, you brought money? Okay. So, when I was in Kaltaira, when I was in Kaltaira, which is the yeshiva in Yerushalayim, a very big yeshiva, it's primarily Israelis, but we had a few Americans there also. And the Rashiva was Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arbach, who was the Paisa Gadar, tremendous gadol, a tzaddik, everything. And I was completely enamored by him. I, whatever he did, wherever he went, I was like following him. Like I, I just thought he was like, you know, he hung the moon. He was like, he did everything. He was like, he was a the greatest Rashiva of his time, and he was the greatest Tzaddik of his time, and he was the greatest Paisik of his time, and he was, he was just amazing. So I was in his shir, and before I got to his shir, I had a very good friend who was in his shir before me, and my friend had a job, and I'm telling you about this because I inherited that job when I came to the shir. What was the job? The job was that Rav Shalem would come into shir with his Gemara and a little notebook, that he, had, that he kept his chidushim in. And at the end of Shir, when Shir was over, so my friend would go over to him and take his, his Shir notes, his, his, his little notebook with the, with the notes of a Shir in it. Rabbi Shemazam would put his hands in his pocket and give him his keys to, to the office. My friend would take the keys and the notebook, run to the other side of the building, Open, the, open his office door, put the machberet on the desk, and then he would take his hat, Rav Shlomo Zaman was a Yerushalmi Yid, so he had that, you know, the beaver hat, the flat velvet hat, you know, that a lot of people in, in Yerushalayim wear, and he would take it and he would run back 
to capture Shlomazaman as he was walking to the base Medish for Mincha, so he could put his he could wear the hat by Mincha without having to make a detour in the office and gave him back his keys. And that was the daily ritual. Just Agav, the story goes with my friend that one day Rabshlaim Azaman was put his hand in his pocket after Shear to look for the keys and he couldn't find them. And he was getting a little agitated because it wasn't just the office key that was on there, it was his house key. And so my, uh, my friend says, don't worry, I'm going to, uh, I think Mistam of the Rashiva maybe left it in the office. Let me go and see. Maybe the keys are in the office. So Rabshlaim Azaman said, okay. So he ran to the office. And he, uh, he looked all over. He, it was, he looked on the desk. It wasn't on the desk. He looked on his chair. It wasn't on his chair. It wasn't, uh, wherever he was looking. He was, and then he saw that Rav Shlomazaman's coat, his, his, his overcoat, was hanging on, a, on like a coat rack. So he says he probably left his keys in his coat pocket. So he put his hand in the coat pocket, and sure enough, the keys were there. So happy. He, was, he flew down... You know, he got the hat, he flew down to the Rashiva, he's like slid on the marble floor, like right in front of him, and then like he says, I found it. He said, well, you found the keys? He says, yes, I found the keys. And the Rashiva was so happy, he was like smiling. So he said, the Rashiva said, where were they? Where'd you find them? He says, was it on the table? Was it on the desk? No. He says, was it on the chair? No. Was it on the floor? No. He says, so where was it? He says it was in the Rashiva's coat pocket. At that point, Rav Shlomazalman's smile vanished. He turned beet red, and he said to my friend, my poor friend Nebuch, he said, he says, let me understand, what did you do? He says, go, go over this. He says, yeah, I, I, I got the Rashiva's keys. It was in the coat pocket. He says, one second, you took your hand, you took your hand, and you put your hand into my coat pocket? He says, yeah, and, and that's where the keys is. He says, you took your hand, and you put it in my coat pocket. Did you have Rishos to do that? Did I give you permission to go into my personal stuff? And my friend told me, he said, if I had a shovel and if the floor wasn't marble, I would have dug my own grave. I, I felt so bad that he said, and when your hand was in my coat pocket, did you take my wallet also? The Rashiva was teaching him a lesson that you don't go into other people's stuff. And it sounds like a, sounds like a very harsh lesson that he taught. And you shouldn't, and people, some of the people say, don't ever say that story again. It's not, it's not Rashiva Zalmadik, it's not Bakavadik. I think the opposite. I think that it's a beautiful story because he was trying to teach him a lesson. You don't put your hand in somebody else's stuff. And by extension, we shouldn't ever go into people's medicine cabinets, ever go into people's lockers, ever go into people's drawers, go into people's knapsacks, go into people's, look through people's wallets. You don't do it. It's just something you don't do. That's, it's, that's my space. You don't go into my space. I don't go into your space. There's a certain respect and... and, and that, that we have to give one another. We don't go into other people's stuff, even though it's tempting and we're nosy sometimes. We like doing that, but, and for that matter, you don't hack into somebody else's computer files and you don't, uh, or if he leaves his computer open, you don't check like his, uh, you know, who he's emailing or, or, or what his, uh, you know, who he's WhatsApping. It's none of our business. But that was uh, an application of what my friend was Makabel from Rabbi Shalem Now, 
when it was my turn to take over this job, after my friend had left Shir, now it was my turn. So me being the collector that I was, now the collection, by the way, stopped. The collecting bug stopped when I got married and I had no more money. So, but up, when I was a bacher, you know, you have money, you have, so you, you buy stuff. But when you're, when you're married, money is not, not so uh, easy to come by. So I, I went to, um, so every day as I was carrying Rav Shlomo hat back to, uh, you know, back to him for Mincha, I, was always, I always had like my eye on that hat. I wanted to get that hat. And I already like pictured like a, a lucite, you know, box for it with like a little caption hat of Rav Shlomo Zalman you know, with, I, I wanted that hat. It was Mamish Iver. I wanted that hat every single day. And I was figuring, how could I get this hat? I need this hat for my collection. And I asked, like, a, I remember I asked, like, a chash of a kale guy, and I said, how do I get Rosh Hashanah? Well, like, what should I, I'm thinking of, like, maybe I should buy him, like, a brand new hat. I know his size. And, like, just, like, say, like, one day, you don't want this hat, you want this hat, right? And, like, just, like, walk away with it until he, like, stops me. But... So I asked the Kaila guy, so the Kaila guy said to me, he says, let me give you an eight, so come here, I'll tell you. He says, he said, yeah. He said, he says, instead of trying to get what's on top of Rav Shlomo head, why don't you try to get what's inside of his head? I mean, try, instead of, instead of going after like this, this physical hat, try to get his chachma, try to get, you know, I saw it, not nice, but, but like, but really, like, you know, how do I get his hat? So, so, in the end, in the end of the day, every day went by and I wanted that hat and I didn't know what to do. And, and in the end, I just basically resigned myself to the reality that it's the Rashiva's hat, it's not my hat, and he's going to have to have his hat, and it's not mine. A couple of years later, fast forward maybe five, seven years later, Rosh Zam was nifter. And I was going recruiting for, for Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. And I read in the paper before I left that somebody bought Rav Shlomo Zalman's house. This was a very chash of a house in, in Shari Chesed, in the Shari Chesed neighborhood. It's like right by Rechavia. It was a house that Rav Shlomo Zalman lived in, I think, 50, 60 years. He had Shalom Bayes with his wife in that house, like tremendous, famous marriage that they had, that Rosh Hashanah when he died, or when his wife died, he gave a eulogy about her, and he said that normally the minig is to ask mechila from the person that was nifta. He says, but in this case, I don't have to, because I never did anything wrong to her in the over 50 years we were married, and she never did anything wrong to me, and there's no rule. We lived our life by the Shulchan Aruch. We don't have to ask each other mechila. That's what, that was famous. Like, when he said that, everybody was like, the whole world, like, went haywire. Because, like, who could say that? You know, who, and, I mean, I could say it, but, like, nobody would believe it, but Rosh Hashanah actually said it, and people believed. How do, how do you do that? Anyway, this house was bought by somebody. The person who bought this house happened to, to live a few blocks away from here. And, um, and I heard that he knocked down the whole house knocked down the house, and he was going to build a, a, like a mini-mansion in, uh, in Shari Chesed, which is not unusual. There's a lot of brand-new, beautiful homes being built by very wealthy Americans, Europeans. But 
I, 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 it, it bothered me that how do you knock down Rav Shlomo Zalman's house? Like it should be, it should be like a like a museum forever. Just that people should see that it's possible to live a, a holy life in this generation, in this day and age. Anyway, it's too late. The guy knocked it down. So I was in a cab going, like sort of. To, I think I was going to to the Kaisel or to the old city to speak in yeshiva there. And uh, so on the way from the hotel, we passed by Rechavi. I, I asked the cab driver if he could just like, you know, it was late at night, if he could basically just take a little detour for a few minutes. And the meter was running. I want to just pass by the, the house uh, on Rechav Parish, which is Rishlam Zalman's house. Anyway, sure enough, I get out of the car. There's like one street light that's on this, uh, on, on, on that, you know, that's illuminating that block. And I go out the whole house, this beautiful, it wasn't a beautiful house, it was a ramshackle hut, but it was still a, a holy, very, it's like a little base amikdash there, completely knocked to the ground, completely knocked to the ground. Raised, and everything, they were like preparing it for, for like a new building to, to be put up. There was one stone that was on the ground of this whole construction site. It was all clean, mamish, like clean, clean, clean. There was one stone that remained from the house, Erev Shalem Zalman. And I bent down, I picked it up, and I kept it. I kept me'avne amakam. That was the, the evan that I was able to get from, from I didn't get the hat, and I but I got the stone that was the last remnant of this base on Mikdash, this Mikdash Ma'at. And in fact, I have the stone. The stone is right here. This is it. And I wrote on it, Mibayis HaKadosh Shomaran Hagayin of Shemizamun Arabach Satzal. This is the stone. Remember I said before that if I would have the stone of Yaakov Avinu, you know, you'd probably be interested. Wow, I'd like to touch that stone. Something that's something real. This is the last remnant in the whole world of Rav Shlomo Zalman's Mikdash Ma'at, of his house. I'll let you touch it after if you want it. But, um, but this, what? Yeah, so we'll, let, we'll pass it around. But it got to get back And that's the aside that I wanted to convey to you today. This is the, the, the lesson that we learned from this week's parasha, that don't ever think, don't ever think that, that there's daimem and there's schayt, even the most inanimate objects, even the most inanimate objects in the world, stones, wood, metal, steel, you think it's nothing, it's only, only human beings count. The Mesos Yasharim teaches us that even the most ordinary, seemingly, what's, what's more ordinary than a rock? But they themselves understand inherently that if they're serving tzaddikim, if they're able to be a, like the Mesut Sharma says, if they're able to understand that the whole world is uplifted through a tzaddik, they want to serve the tzaddik. They're upgraded. They're no longer considered a diamond. That rock is not a diamond. That rock is full of life because it was a, a rock that served, that was zaycha to serve a tzaddik. And that's the lesson of, uh, of Parshas Vayetze, that when, we, that when we're able to, uh, to serve a tzaddik, then we have the ability to, to uplift everything around us. Just to end, the first Rashi in the parsha says that, 
or the second Rashi, Vayetze Yakim Ber Shavar. What is, you know what Rashi says? Sheyitziyas Tzadik Minair Aisa Reishim. When a Tzadik leaves a city, makes a Reishim. Because when the Tzadik is in the city, who Haida, who Ziva, who Adara, he's the beauty of the city. And when a Tzadik leaves, that whole city becomes like dead. What does that mean? I think it means the same thing. The whole city, if there's a, a tzaddik in Queens, so if the tzaddik is in Queens, the whole city, every tree in Queens is different because of the tzaddik. Every street, every stop sign, every traffic light, every mailbox, everything is different because it's serving a tzaddik. When a tzaddik leaves, the whole city becomes downgraded because there's no more tzaddik. Because the world is really a place that's here to serve tzaddikim. All the other things that you look at and you're admiring in, in the world, wow, there's a concert and there's, a, there's football and there's basketball and there's a sport and movies. That, you know, every, the whole world is going crazy over those things, but that's not why the world is here. The world is here for Klal Yisrael to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And to the degree that we're able to, that's the degree that we uplift the entire world. But when we fall in our mission, when we don't do the things that we're supposed to, so the world unfortunately becomes downgraded, the world becomes a place that HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Shechina is not manifest, and that's not what our mission in life is. So Rabbi Yisrael, I want to wish you all a, well, we'll see you tomorrow by the Shmuz, but I want to wish you all a, a beautiful Shabbos, and uh, remember this Yisrael about the Rosh Hashiva's rock. <laughs>